all the time here at Life of Purpose that the Bible is the source of truth, right? All scripture is God-breathed. So you don't get to really pick and choose then what you believe. It's not, right, a buffet. But then you come to this interesting story that we're going to look at today. And the law of physics declare it's impossible for a person to walk on water. Am I right? Nobody here has walked on water before? Some of you may have tried, probably. Doesn't work. But in the Bible, we see there is a stormy night, and Jesus walked on water, and one of his disciples named Peter also walked on water for a little bit. And when you hear that, you're kind of challenged in your mind, right? I mean, like, did that really happen? Um, and if you ever shared a story like that, specifically that Jesus walked on water, if you ever shared that story with a non-Christian, you might get a look, or you might even be called a name <laughs> or something because it seems very far-fetched. When I read this passage in the Bible, when I read that Jesus walked on water, it brings up a lot of questions. You have a lot of questions when you read the Bible? That's normal, right? I mean, we have questions, but do you leave them unanswered or do you seek out the answers? And I think we need to seek out the answers. I had questions like, why did he do that? Why did he walk on water? Why did he do it in the middle of the night, in the midst of a storm? Uh, why didn't he just do it in daylight for everyone to see? I thought to myself, if he walked on water, could he swim underwater like Aquaman did? Why didn't he fly like Superman? Why didn't he lift up a camel like the Incredible Hulk would? Right? I mean, this is like superhero stuff he's doing here. Like, why, why, why did he walk on water? That seems like a strange one to me. But today I have an answer for you, um, as well as some of the other questions that you might have about this passage in the Bible where Jesus walked on water. So, praise God, we have some answers. Let's pray as we dive into the word. Father, I pray that today I become less and you become more, that people do not see or hear my words, but they hear yours, that the Spirit would speak through me, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see and to believe, because we want to believe and trust in the one who still does miracles today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So this miracle happens right after Jesus fed 5,000 people. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, you can see that on, a, on our website um, where we have our, our videos, or um, yeah, our sermons and, and services. So Matthew 14, I'm harmonizing the Gospels. If you're just kind of joining us, you, you may or may not know that we're harmonizing the Gospels. So some weeks, like last week, we're in John, but this week we're in Matthew and it's just kind of chronologically moving through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew chapter 14, we start in verse 22. So if you have your Bible or your electronic Bible, you want to follow along. If not, you have it on the screen. So it says that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So if you've never looked at a map, or maybe you forgot, but the Sea of Galilee is kind of perfectly shaped like your hand. 
okay? I know it's Michigan, you just do that, right? But the Sea of Galilee is about that shape right there. And Bethsaida is over on this side of the Sea of Galilee, okay? The, the northeast side. And that's where he fed the 5,000. And he gets the disciples in the boat and he says, just travel to the other side. So they started going to the other side, which would have been Capernaum. Okay, so that's the deal there. That's what's happening in this. My guess is, is they probably rowed close to shore. They're, some of them are fishermen. They know what can happen on the Sea of Galilee. I'll explain in a second. But they uh, were probably sticking close to the shore. I always do that. When I go out on my boat, I like to stay close to shore. It's kind of nice, a little more comforting feeling safety, you know, you're kind of close to shore. Well, verse 23 says that after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. So Jesus was going to have some alone time with his father. And evening came, and he was there alone. The boat had been gone a long time. And it was far from land because it had gotten beaten by the waves the wind was against them. So what you need to know about the Sea of Galilee, and these twelve disciples, as you know, some of them were fishermen. So this was not unusual for them to get in a boat. They did this all the time. They, they've been doing this for a long time. So they understood what happens on the Sea of Galilee is that there are sudden storms. Sudden storms. In Michigan, we don't really see sudden storms, right? I mean, this kind of, things happen, we just kind of know it's going to happen. We got our radar apps. I mean, I got like six different apps. I look at my phone to know the wind. I, I, I know it's coming. Nothing's going to surprise me in Michigan. But on the Sea of Galilee, they got surprised often because the sea is the lowest freshwater lake in the world, 700 feet below sea level. And around the Sea of Galilee is really semi-tropical. So it's very warm air around the Sea of Galilee. But kind of out in the midst there is hills, 2,000 foot high mountains, if you want to call them that. And there's a lot of cold air the higher you go up. So when the gusts of air push that cold air down under the Sea of Galilee and the cold air hits the hot air, this is about all I know about meteorology, okay? Uh, sudden storms come out out of nowhere. And that's what happened here to the disciples. They were trying to stay close, probably to the North Shore, but this storm hit them, pushed them. They couldn't see the shore probably anymore, and they started to panic. It's in verse 25. We see they've been out there a while. It's the fourth watch of the night when Jesus came to them. He was walking on the sea. Now, if you don't know what the fourth watch is, basically 6 o'clock at night is when it would get dark. 6 to 9 is the first watch. 9 to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. And here we are in the fourth watch, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it is almost, you know, the end of the night. They've been out there a while. The disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, verse 26, and they were terrified. 
They didn't recognize him. They thought it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Now, I think they did more than just cry out in fear. I think they might have said a few choice words in their own language. I wonder how you respond when you're afraid. Like, startled afraid. You know, like the first thing that happens when you get really scared. We tease my mom because one time when our kids were pretty little, they were driving, my daughter's already smiling, they were driving with her and Bill and, and they, were, they were heading uh, to some family's house and they almost got hit by another car. So they almost got into an accident, and fear overcame them all, and a four-letter word came out of sweet grandma's mouth that their their grandkids never heard before. And their eyes were big as saucers. Now, we get to tease grandma about that, and with her permission, I got to share that this morning. Because you know I don't want the wrath of my mother after I preach a sermon. But fear often causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Say things we don't want to say. So we don't want to live in fear. And you heard Jamie talk about that this morning when she sang her song, No Longer Slaves, when we sang that. But there was a a fear that came over them. But I love this because Jesus knew it. In verse 27... It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them. He recognized their fear, and immediately he spoke to them. And what did he say? He said, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Take heart is translated from the Greek word tharsio. It means to really have courage. So really saying to his disciples, boys, have courage, it's me. And you know, sometimes you don't recognize someone, but then you hear their voice and you recognize them. It was an interesting thing yesterday, just to show you how old I am, I went to my 30-year class reunion. And there was about a quarter of us, maybe a third of us that made it, 212 graduated, And we did a little golf outing, and then we visited afterwards. But we got up, and and, and a couple people came, you know, to say hi to me, and I didn't recognize them. It's been 30 years. But then I heard their voice, and then I saw their mannerisms, and then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's definitely who that is. It's crazy. But I think Jesus, when he spoke, The disciples heard that familiar voice, the shepherd's voice, and they were comforted. I say that because oftentimes you may feel like life's a hurricane. You're in the midst of a storm. And the question is, what do you do when you're afraid? And my hope is that you'll hear the words of your father. You'll hear Jesus' word. You'll hear the shepherd's voice. And how do you hear the shepherd's voice? You read your Bible. You go to the word. You, you get into the word. It's, it's like a first aid kit. Right? I mean, it's, it's wonderful when you're in the word and you read it and you hear it 
And it's amazing when, if you do read the God's Word, that He speaks to your exact situation. And you think to yourself, how is that even possible? How can, how can this passage that I'm reading speak to my situation? Well, because the Holy Spirit is in charge. The Holy Spirit is making that happen. So when you respond, when you have fear and you respond, I pray it will be by listening to God's word and reading God's word. And The disciples certainly heard the voice of Jesus, and that brought them great comfort. Now it brings us to this big question, why did Jesus walk on water? Why did he walk on water? I mean, think about this for a moment. This is what I really was just pondering this. Like, this, this doesn't make sense, this miracle. I mean, he's done all kinds of healing, right? I mean, he's, he's raised people from the dead. He's calmed storms. He's cast out demons. Walking on water doesn't seem like something Jesus would do because it's not a miracle that's helping someone else. I mean, he could have just walked along the shore, met the disciples on the other side. Why did he do this? Well, nothing Jesus did was without purpose, right? God had a plan. God has a plan, and he did it for Jesus. And the plan here is very interesting, I believe. As you know where we're at in the story here of the life of Jesus, we're in the last year. Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. The first year being kind of the year of preparation, year and a half. The second year being the year of popularity. He became extremely famous for all that he had done. But now we're in the year of opposition, the year in which he's going to die, an excruciating death on the cross. This is the beginning of the third year, where he will shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. He is going to be our suffering servant. And I believe that Jesus was teaching his disciples here in a very amazing and practical way that he is fulfilling the law and the prophets. I believe walking on water was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Now how many of you really, really know the book of Isaiah? Isaiah is a Pretty big book. When you get to it in the Old Testament, you're like, oh man, Isaiah. I like the shorter ones, you know, the, the minor prophets, they call them. But Isaiah's got 66 chapters, right? So when you read that, you're kind of like, okay, this is going to take a while. But Isaiah is actually two parts. The first 39 chapters, Isaiah is speaking to the people of his day. And he's letting them know because of their sin, judgment is coming upon them. And even with some of the great kings like King Hezekiah, it ends with him teaching and telling King Hezekiah that you, we're going to be judged. Israel is going to be judged by Babylon. And they were. That prophecy came true. But in the second part of Isaiah, which starts in chapter 40, I encourage you to read that on your own sometime this coming week. Just even the first five chapters of Isaiah 40, 41, 42, 43, I'm going to touch on some of those verses. But he's informing Israel of the coming Messiah, the one who would suffer and serve. In fact, 
When you read Isaiah 53, verse 5, you might think that Isaiah was there on Calvary. Because he says, he writes, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now Isaiah writes that he would be pierced 600 years before the Romans actually perfected crucifixion. How's that for prophecy? In the beginning of Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 40, the second part, you're going to see the prophecy of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. You'll see verse 31, a favorite verse of many people. They, wait, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. How many of you love that verse and have seen that verse before? You'll see his calling. Verse 1 of 42, Behold, my servant. This is what Isaiah writes. Many, many years before Jesus was ever born. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And as you keep reading, you'll hear the words that Jesus said to his disciples. Take heart, do not be afraid. He says, Isaiah writes in verse 10 of 41, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. i got to believe when Jesus grabbed Peter's hand, he thought of this verse. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, for I am with you. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And then, the verse that I think is the reason Jesus walked on water. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah writes, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Just like God parted the Red Sea, and made a way where there was no way, Jesus walked on water. And he made a way by living perfectly and dying perfectly for our sins. Can you make a way to heaven? You can't. I can't. No one can make our own way. But Jesus made the way. So I don't think Jesus walked on water because he thought it would be cool. <laughs> I don't think he did it randomly I don't think he did it so that it would be the cliche saying for all miracles moving forward. I think he did it to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the disciples are slowly beginning to understand that this man that they've been following is not just a man. He is also God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He's their Savior and they responded in such a way that is important for us to see. But how do you respond to this miracle? When you hear about Jesus and you read that Jesus walked on water, is it just a bit too far-fetched? I mean, like Noah's ark and the flood. 
like Moses parting the Red Sea, like a donkey talking like a human. I mean, is this just too unbelievable? Do I really believe Jesus walked on water? Well, I have an engineering brain. I'm very left brain, very logical in my thinking, and my logical left brain says, I don't believe that for a second. Because physics says that's not possible. But my spirit says, yes, I believe it. The Holy Spirit in me says, yeah, Jesus not only walked on water, he rose from the grave. He's alive. That's the most important most important miracle of all. The resurrection of Jesus is actually the core of the gospel. Paul says that. 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. If you don't believe Christ raised from the dead, your faith is useless in him. And I'll be honest with you, I don't believe because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to believe. I don't believe because I want to believe. I don't even believe because the Bible says so, or tells me so, as the song goes. I believe because God has given me the ability to believe. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand that I believe, and maybe you believe this because, for the same reason, I believe because God has opened my eyes. I was blind, but now I see. John 6.44, which we'll see in a little bit, not in the coming weeks here. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what Jesus said. No one can come to the Father unless he draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, is the author and perfecter of your faith. The founder of your faith. And when you believe, truly believe, well then God can do amazing things for you. In fact, Peter believed, and Peter said in verse 28, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. You can say what you want about Peter, because, you know, he was kind of that one that we like to pick on, right? I mean, he, he always said the wrong thing, right? He always did the wrong thing, talked too much, thought he knew what was best. I love it when he thinks he knows what's best for Jesus. I mean, you know, he just... But out of 12 disciples, who got out of the boat? Peter did. Peter got out of the boat. Verse 29... Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and he came to Jesus. He got out of the boat. He walked for a little bit. But then we know he made a mistake. He made a mistake. Verse 30 says, he saw the wind and he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now this is a perfect example of how many Christians live their life. They want to get closer to God, so they start walking towards Him. They take steps to God, like reading your Bible, confessing your sin, praying, 
coming to church, getting baptized. We take steps getting closer to God. Our eyes are on God. But then they get distracted by the things of the world. The winds and the waves of the world bring fear into their life. And the moment they focus on them, they start sinking. The second you take your eyes off of Jesus, you start sinking. Am I right? But then, if you start sinking, you call out to God, you can pray the easiest prayer of all time. Two words. God help. How many people have prayed that simple, easy prayer? But it's one of the best prayers, right? I mean, God help. And Peter prays that prayer. And when you pray for God to help you, He helps you. He saved him. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out His hand. He took hold of Peter saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's not something Peter wanted to hear. And that's why I say, this really isn't how we should be living our life as a Christian. This is kind of a cycle thing here that's going on here. And Jesus doesn't want us to live this way, where we keep on sinking. And we're kind of going back and forth between survival mode and sinking, right? Like, he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to trust in him 100%. He doesn't want us to walk alone. He wants us to fix our eyes on him. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped And they said, truly you are the Son of God. So my thoughts here at the end are, what what is your response to Jesus walking on water? How do you respond to it? Because you can respond with, well, it's a nice story. I'm just going to go on and keep doing what I'm doing. But if you're kind of in that cycle of, oh, I want to get closer to God, but then, oh, there's this and there's that, and, and then you start sinking again, and then you, oh, I, I want to get closer to God. God help me, and it, it just that's kind of your Christian life. I want to tell you that Jesus has a better plan. God has a better plan. And he can do anything and everything. In fact, he can make a way where there is no way. As we sang, he can split the sea so you can walk right through it, or he can walk right on top of the water, and you can walk with him. I don't want to worship a God that only shows up on Sundays. I want to worship a God that's with us all the time, everywhere we go. So I know summer is an easy time to get distracted because lots of people love to go on vacation. We get out of our routines, and it's kind of nice because, you know, in Michigan, summer's about this And it feels like the rest. But if you feel like you've been sinking or you've been struggling or you feel like now is the time I need to really get back on track. I really need to pursue God. And I don't want to do this thing again where I do it for a little while and then I start sinking again. I got to call it for God for help. And No, you want to be 100% committed. If that's you, if you want to be all in, fix your eyes on Jesus, never take your eyes off him then when we sing this final song, make that commitment. You can do it as simple as putting it on your connection card and putting that in the offering, and I will pray along with you. We'll pray for you on that. You can come forward to the steps. 
these all, this is an altar, these steps, and you can come forward and kneel down and you can just talk to God and you can do it in your chair. We'll have our prayer team up on the side. If you want someone to pray with you, they can pray with you. But don't let the day go by. Don't let this time go by. If God's speaking to your heart, then you need to do business with God. You need to talk to him and you need to let him know. So I invite our team to come up and sing our final song as I pray and we prepare. Father, may this message not return void. May it speak to our hearts and and our minds and, and may we take action. As we, I'm reminded of James's words that faith alone is not enough. We need to take action. We need to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So Lord, may, may we come forward. May we make a commitment to, to be all in with you, to fix our eyes on you, to stop sinking so much. Stop doubting. Stop being tossed here and and there with the waves. Lord, help us to navigate these storms in our lives. Help us to trust in you and not be afraid. In Jesus' name, everyone said,